Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, on today's Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking to Dr. Suzanne Nicholas, and she's an adult nephrologist and associate professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. She is also highly trained in hypertension, and to have a nephrologist that knows a lot about hypertension is so important to people who have to deal with this when they have kidney disease. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Nicholas on the phone with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so very much, Lori, for the invitation. I'm really happy to be part of this Kidney Talk podcast. Well, I've heard you speak throughout the community, and you're such an eloquent speaker, and I've always learned so much because your expertise is hypertension. So can you explain what is hypertension? Sure. Hypertension is really a condition that puts an individual at risk for several other illnesses, including heart attacks, stroke, and kidney disease. And because it's an illness that there usually aren't any symptoms, it can be very serious. Well, you know, I I had hypertension growing up um, because of my kidney disease. And when my pressure was like 170 over 100, I wouldn't know it. I would know it when it was like 230 and my, my head hurt or something. And, you know, I guess if it's that high, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> Absolutely, you're in serious trouble. High blood pressure or hypertension really is defined by a blood pressure that is 140 over 90 or greater. And that top number really is called the systolic blood pressure. It represents the force in your arteries when your heart is contracting. And that bottom number is called the diastolic blood pressure and is the force in your arteries when your heart is actually relaxed or in between beats. Blood pressures that are about 120 over 80 or lower are really ideal blood pressures. They are normal blood pressures for individuals. So anything of 140 over 90 or greater is considered hypertension. In between 120 over 80 and 140 over 90 is what's considered pre-hypertension. And it's that level where although blood pressure medications are not required at that time, it is really important because it may progress to develop true hypertension or hypertension. Well, you know, um, can you maybe explain a little bit? It, this was explained to me like when your blood pressure is high, it's somewhat like the plumbing, like it, it's pushing through your vascular system really quickly and it ends up like scarring your tissues because of the pressure so. And that's what ends up causing all the damage in your kidneys. Is, 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 that, is that like a, that's the layman's term, but I try to explain it to people. Like your eyes and your kidneys have really small veins. And when your pressure's high, it, the blood going through that scars it. Is that, is that a correct analogy? Absolutely correct. And that's a, a perfect analogy. When your blood pressure is high, it's really a force on the arteries. And it causes, a, it damages the arteries. And, and, and tissues that are fed by these blood vessels, particularly your kidneys and your eyes and your heart, are really sensitive to these high uh, levels of blood pressure. And as a result, for example, in the kidneys, when the blood vessels become damaged, they can't do their work as well. They can't filter blood as well. They can't get rid of toxins and fluids as well. And so the fluid builds up in your body and you develop 
even higher blood pressure, and that even higher blood pressure tends to damage the kidneys even more. Uh, and so you run the risk of developing kidney disease, and kidney disease from hypertension actually is uh, the most common cause, second most common cause of kidney failure. I know it's, um, and and you're right. I I, mean, I grew up with high blood pressure. Um, and luckily today, my pressure is like 100 over 60. It's great. This kidney's working wonderful. But I didn't really know it. I'd have to check my blood pressure. And I'm like, wow, it's high. And, um, you know, address it that way. And then, you know, maybe take it multiple times to make sure it's just not a one-time thing. Because it's hard to change medication if you don't keep a blood pressure log, correct? I mean, Exactly correct. <laughs> In fact, blood pressure tends to vary normally, physiologically, during the course of the day and night based on a circadian rhythm. But it can also vary in response to several different factors. For example, anxiety or heavy exercise, uh, stress, uh, high salt diet. There's several different things that can cause your blood pressure to vary and to increase. And as we said earlier, you may not sense this. And so it becomes very important, particularly if you have a history of hypertension and you're on medication, to monitor your blood pressure on a regular basis. The correct way of monitoring your blood pressure is very, very important. Well, and it was interesting because, you know, when I would wake up in the morning, my blood pressure would sometimes be a lot higher. And my nephrologist explained that your pressure normally is higher in the morning. To wake up, you need your pressure to be higher. That's part of the circadian rhythm. Just before rising, your blood pressure, what's called a blood pressure surge, happens. And we'd like to be able to detect that. Because if you have hypertension and you have heart disease in particular, in the morning, just before you wake up, means if your blood pressure surges on top of an elevated blood pressure, that puts you at even greater risk for heart complications. I know. It just it just seems counterintuitive because, you know, you're sleeping and you're resting and hopefully you're having pleasant dreams and then, you know, you need a higher pressure. So if you're having that surge, um, you probably need to have some kind of medication at night or something that would protect you in the morning, right? Exactly. One thing to know is that as we were mentioning, monitoring your blood pressure, it's highly recommended that patients learn to measure their blood pressures correctly. And they can do that um, in their doctor's office. The doctor can show them how to do it. There are um, guidelines and directions that individuals can obtain online, for example, at the American Heart Association website. But just in general, a quick brief um, description of how it should be done your blood pressure should be measured again in the morning, just after waking up, before you take your medications, and it should be done when you are seated, both feet on the floor, your back supported, your arms at the level of your heart, and you should be should have been seated for about five to ten minutes. And you use a validated blood pressure monitor, which you can purchase over the counter at any pharmacy, and you measure the blood pressure initially in both arms in order to detect the the arm in which the blood pressure is a little bit higher, and that can occur normally. That will be the blood, the arm that you want to continue to measure your blood pressure over time. And it's also important, too, that you have the right cuff size, right? Exactly. That's very important. Again, so the, when you purchase your blood pressure monitor, you may have a regular cuff size or a large cuff size. So depending on your arm circumference, 
most individuals, because there's so many of us that are a little bit overweight, may require a large uh, blood pressure cuff. And that typically has to be purchased separately from the blood pressure monitor. Uh, many years ago, we did an article and a patient went through and she validated, got, it was information on blood pressure cuffs, and I believe it was Omron, O-M-R-O-N, that was a good brand that was the validated. The brand I recommend to my patients. So what are some of the risk factors of uh, developing hypertension? What are, you know, some of the things you, you may have and you may not have hypertension, but you may in the future if you don't look out for it? Yes. It's important to know the risk factors for developing hypertension simply because, as we mentioned, there aren't any symptoms, usually. The risk factors include uh, environmental factors as well as genetic factors and the interactions among these factors. For example, regarding genetic factors, many individuals may be aware that their family members with a history or diagnosis of hypertension, and thus hypertension can run in families. In addition, there are certain ethnic groups that are more prone to developing hypertension, such as African Americans and Hispanics. And they're also more prone for developing complications from hypertension. Uh, And so that's one risk factor, the genetic factors. The environmental factors are many, and they may include some of the things we've already mentioned, such as stress, but also high-salt diet, um, being overweight or obese, diabetes, having kidney disease, um, alcohol use even. All of these are risk factors for developing hypertension. And importantly, as we grow older, even if you've never had hypertension, you can still develop it as you grow older simply because your arteries become stiffer. And if you've had hypertension that has been well-controlled, as you grow older, your blood pressure may become less well-controlled. Right. You know, I've, I've seen that a lot. And it's interesting because sometimes you think people who have high blood pressure don't. And then it's interesting. Like I have friends and they're fit and they're in great shape. And they're like, yeah, I have high blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's not a stereotype all the time, um, which I find interesting. Sometimes you think, oh, they must have high blood pressure. And my mom, she doesn't have high blood pressure at all, which is, which is interesting, you know. So, and that's why it's important to have your blood pressure monitored. It definitely. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, um, how it relates to a transplant. Now, because a lot of people are listening, they have a transplant and they may have had hypertension, like I'm one of them. Um, prior to, you know, was on dialysis. And then I got my transplant and now my blood pressure is like 100 over 60. And now I have to look for hypotension um, and make sure that I drink and eat enough salt. But what are some of the things that transplant recipients need to look out for? So hypertension definitely can be the cause of kidney failure. And even after you've had a transplant, you can still have, even though you get a nice, fresh, new kidney, you can still develop hypertension or have hypertension maintained. There are several factors that contribute to this. Most importantly are the medications that one is required to take in order to prevent rejection of that new kidney. And medications in the class of calcineurin inhibitors, and those individuals who've had a transplant will be familiar with medications such as cyclosporin and tacrolimus. These medications can have direct toxicity to the kidneys and cause a decrease in blood flow to the kidneys and that leads to an increase in blood pressure in addition to other mechanisms. And other medications such as steroids um, can enhance sodium and water retention, 
which will also contribute to the development of hypertension in patients who've had a kidney transplant. You know, it's um, when I go to the doctor now, and now with this transplant, it works so well. It's just so amazing. Like, oh my goodness, I had to take so many different blood pressure medicines. And I remember as a child, I would just take so many medications that I would go to sleep. I would put my head down. And this was in the 70s. Um, when they didn't have as many advanced um, blood pressure medications. But can you talk a little bit about maybe blood pressure medications and potential side effects? And um, one of the reasons I say that is one that I was prescribed really caused my ankles to swell, and it caused me to have a cough. And my doctor ended up finding one that worked for me that I didn't have side effects, because if you have side effects, you may not take it. Currently, there are probably about nine different classes of antihypertensive medications. And as they've developed these blood pressure medications over time, they've become uh, better tolerated, which is wonderful. But importantly, many of these medications can have side effects. And that's one of the things that patients really need to look out for. Commonly, you've mentioned a couple of those, lower extremity swelling or edema. Some medications can definitely um, cause lower extremity swelling. And some of these, this lower extremity swelling may actually be dose-dependent. For example, if you're taking a medication that causes swelling in your legs, at a low dose you have no swelling, but as you increase the dose or escalate the dose, the swelling in your lower extremities increase. So that's important to be aware of. Also, some medications can cause cough. Mm-hmm. And those belong to the class of, of blood pressure medications called angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors and, and can commonly cause cough. And again, it's important when we're taking these medications to be aware of some of the potential side effects and as soon as you develop these, to let your doctor know so they have the opportunity to say, stop this medication and start something else in order to maintain your blood pressure. Yeah, it was, um, I was taking one of those and I just had this like dry cough. I couldn't get rid of it. And then um, it was a couple of weeks. And then one of my friends who's a nurse (laughs) said, just pointed out, are you taking this? And I'm like, yes. And she goes, well, you need to call your doctor. I, I just never thought about it. And you know, luckily there are so many options. They found some great medication. I mean, there's a blood pressure patch that works well, and you only have to do it once a week. And there's so many different options that you can take now to control your blood pressure. Um, so let me uh, let's talk a little bit about taking medication because, you know, we all may skip a dose or we're like, oh, I feel okay. I may not take it. Can you tell us why it's important to take blood pressure medicine continuously? Yes, it's so important to take our blood pressure medications continuously and not skip a dose. It, it, patients may be very tempted, particularly if they're monitoring their blood pressure at home, and they see over the course of time that as they you know, continue to exercise and do all the things that their doctors recommend, that their blood pressure becomes better controlled and and reach that goal number that they've been uh, targeting. And then they say, okay, great, I feel great, my blood pressure is under control, and then they stop taking the medication. I have to say that is the wrong thing to do. The reason why the blood pressure at that time is under really good control is because everything is in good order and in addition, the medications have reached an optimal level in the blood so that there's uh, optimum effectiveness of the medications. So if an individual 
skips a dose or forgets to take a dose, it's recommended that they take their medication immediately. But don't double up. That will run the risk of maybe causing your blood pressure to fall too low. And as you know, blood pressure that's either too high or too low can cause a stroke. Right. No, I mean, it's... um. It's so important to take the medication consistently. And, I, you know, I sometimes forget. I mean, you know, everybody forgets. And and so if you forget a dose, what do you do? You just take it when you remember it and then get back on schedule? Exactly. Take you it don't... immediately as you remember it and get back on schedule. But, again, don't double up. There are several things that uh, patients can do to increase their chances of essentially not forgetting or not taking their medications. For example, you can have an alarm Mm -hmm. that tells you, you know, every morning at 8 o'clock I need to take my blood pressure medication. Or you can have a pill box that has compartments for each day of the week or for morning and evening. Or you can just monitor your blood pressure every day. And what that does, it really empowers you to observe and to follow your blood pressure as it improves over time. And then one of the things, maybe you can explain a little bit, but my physician talked to me, there's two different types of blood pressure medicine. And, you know, somebody would take their blood pressure like it's normal, but there's some that are longer acting blood pressure medication and then ones that act immediately. And so he explained the difference because he says, well, if your pressure is really high, I want you to take this medication, just a one-time dose to try to get it under control. And then the other ones you need to take consistently because they're not going to work right away. So, um, you know, some of my friends are like, well, I just took a blood pressure medicine and my pressure's not down. And if it's not the right type, that's not going to make a difference. Well, again, uh, it's important to note that, you know, when you take your pill, it's going to take a while to go through the system. Mm -hmm. And some medications that are long-acting will act over the course of the day, maybe for eight hours or 12 hours, because they are designed to maintain your blood pressure over that period of time. There are medications that are short-acting that will be absorbed rapidly and will have an almost immediate effect. So for patients who have high blood pressure that are taking medications over the course of a long period of time or the longer-acting drugs, occasionally their blood pressures may be very elevated, maybe because of emotional stress uh, or or any other factor. And at that time, they may require a short-acting pill that they can take that will bring their blood pressure down a lot more quickly. What do you recommend to your patients about when they go on dialysis? Because this is a big issue. You know, do you take your meds before dialysis? Yes, it is a big issue. Um, For those patients who are on dialysis, they'll probably know that when you're on dialysis, as they're taking, the nurse is taking fluid off of you through the machine, your blood pressure may have a tendency to fall. So if you're taking blood pressure medication for hypertension, it's typically recommended um, and preferred that you take your blood pressure medications at night. And what that does, it helps to reduce that surge of blood pressure that may occur during the night in patients who are on dialysis, who have uh, kidney failure. And also, it'll reduce that what we call interdialytic hypotension or uh, reduction in your blood pressure when you're on dialysis. 
Yeah, you have to, you, you really need to talk to your doctor and, and some of the medications you take can make dialysis a little bit more difficult. So you need to really have that discussion with them. And, and, and also for some individuals who are on dialysis and their blood pressure is difficult to control, some of these medications actually may be dialyzed off on the, on the dialysis machine. And so some medications may need to be taken after dialysis as well. So, yes, it's important to speak with your doctor, know the medications that you're on, and to really have a good discussion with your doctor so that you can increase your compliance and really understand why you're taking your medications and why you're taking them at those specific times. So to wrap this up, I mean, we know a lot about, you know, medication. So what are some non-medication ways um, that we can control blood pressure? There are a number of non-medication ways to control blood pressure. And typically, when someone comes into my office with hypertension, whether it's um, diagnosed for the first time or they've had a long history of hypertension and they need it to be better, well-controlled, I initiate not just the medications, but a number of other non-medication approaches. And those include weight loss. We want to be able to achieve an ideal um, body weight, uh, typically a a body mass index of about 25 kilograms per meter squared. We'd like to reduce salt intake as much as possible. You're probably aware that eating out is really the source of the highest salt intake um, in our diet. And it's recommended that for the general population, a daily intake of essentially less than half a teaspoon of table salt is recommended. Other things that are recommended are um, specific diets that include, uh, that are rich in fruits and vegetables, that are rich in low-fat dairy products, uh, that are reduced in saturated fat and cholesterol. Typically, individuals who are vegetarians tend to have lower blood pressures. And also reduce alcohol intake and stop smoking. Right. Now that's not good for blood pressure. That's for sure. And so what? Um, and then you know, if you if you deal with stress and anxiety, I mean, you really have to get that under control because that causes high blood pressure, right? Absolutely. Uh, for those individuals who really respond to stress with an increase in their blood pressure, they may recognize that your blood pressure may be well controlled every day, and then you have some stressful situation that causes your blood pressure to go up, and that can really uh, contribute to blood pressure. So yes, we have to be aware of how our blood, our bodies respond to stress and to initiate stress-reducing activities. Daily exercise is a good stress-reducing activity. No, it's, uh, it's so important, and somebody who's dealt with high blood pressure since I was two. I mean, I just see, have seen all the advancements and ways to treat blood pressure and all the different options. And, you know, people just have to take an active role in finding what works for them because... Um, an ounce of prevention is with a pound of cure. Thank you. That's what it is. It's, you know, you just don't want to take it or it may make you feel, oh, I hear people say, oh, it makes me sleepy. Well, you got to take it before you go to bed and um, fit it into your schedule because it really has to be part of your lifestyle to to take. Um, I mean, when I take transplant medications, I've taken for 23 years. You know, I take them twice a day religiously and, um, you know, I've benefited from it. And the alternative is is worse. So 
uh, take those meds. <laughs> take those meds and take them on time. And take your blood pressure and see your doctor. Well, thank you, Dr. Nicholas. This was so informative. And I think um, a lot of people are going to gain a lot of information on especially the surge. I mean, I, I found that that was so interesting that the surge happens in the morning. And that's why people have heart attacks in the morning when they wake up. I mean, I, I never thought of that before. So Very true. It's very physiologic. And importantly, there are relatively new, not so new medications uh, available that specifically attack that surge of blood pressure in the morning. Um, they're, they're called chronotropic blood pressure medications. And the way that we take these meds are we take it at night, around 10 o'clock at night, and they're designed so they have a delayed onset of action so that they target that morning blood pressure surge. So individuals who are able to measure their blood pressure every morning may observe that but uh, morning blood pressure surge, and by taking their uh, their readings to the doctor, the doctor may be able to identify that and recommend the appropriate medication to target that morning early morning surge. Well, thank you so much for all the good information, and um, hopefully, uh, my blood pressure will maintain to be a hundred over sixty because that's one of the best signs of having a healthy kidney. <laughs> thank you very much, okay, Lori. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.